0: welcome to bcd presents no small parts this is a monthly audio drama exploring the lives of minor film characters written by miles murphy and produced by the black case diaries podcast enjoy alma only had one memory of her mother a whisper of a memory that rested in her mind calling her home on cold nights But what was home? At one time, it was a small urban house in the heart of Rotterdam. But Alma didn't remember that. To Alma, home was that memory of her mother. She didn't know if it was real, or a dream that her desperately lonely mind had conjured. Her mother, with thick black hair and sparkling hazel eyes, wiping away Alma's tears and singing to her child in a clear voice. Alma was only two when her house was destroyed in the Rotterdam Blitz. Not old enough to remember, not young enough to be unaffected. Her family was displaced, their lives destroyed. And yet they carried on. Alma didn't know this. The only thing she knew was that her parents survived long enough to place her in the hands of a family friend a stout woman with auburn hair and freckles. Her name was Miss Lydia though Alma was meant to call her mother, and she did. At night, Miss Lydia would visit Alma before bed, hold her close and remind her, you must call me mother, although it is not so. Alma did as she was told. Though she longed for the warm arms of her parents, she often dreamed they would return and wrap her in their arms, never to let go. But they never did. They never could. Alma would never know the final act of love her parents performed for her when they allowed a young student to smuggle her away to avoid deportation. She was a toddler then, more difficult to hide. But the student claimed her as her sister, and Alma screamed for her parents as they disappeared from her life forever. Alma didn't know she was Jewish, a secret Miss Lydia kept well. They lived together in the western part of the Netherlands. For five years they survived until a fierce famine cut away at their spirits and bodies. Weak from hunger, Miss Lydia sent Alma to the soup kitchen for nourishment. Alma would go out exploring, despite Miss Lydia's objections, and return with tulip bulbs for dinner. At night, they would sing together, songs that felt foreign. Not foreign in place, but in time. They sang about holidays and sweets, things that Alma had hardly ever known. At Christmas time, Alma set out her shoe for Claus or Saint Nicholas, something she did in her years before the famine. Seeing this brought Miss Lydia to tears. She placed her day's worth of food in the shoe, so her little Alma would still believe in magic. Alma was fascinated by the idea of Saint Nicholas, a kind man that would bring treats to children simply to make them happy. She often wished she could see him, so she could ask to see her mother and for food and logs to burn. Alma and Miss Lydia carried on through the long winter with almost no food. The once stout woman was gaunt with malnourishment, and the bright-eyed little girl did everything she could to keep her caretaker alive. They relied on friends and neighbors, people that Alma learned not to love as they passed through her life so quickly. Although Miss Lydia told her not to, Alma kept a tally of the people they knew that had starved, been executed, or who disappeared in the night. Each time another was lost, she thought about her parents. She thought about Miss Lydia. Then came the day of liberation. The long winter had shifted into spring, But Miss Lydia was too weak to stand. People in strange uniforms came and took them both to the hospital. Alma screamed when they pulled her away from Miss Lydia. A nurse came to soothe the crying child and distracted her by asking impossible questions. Where are you from? Where is your mother? The life of war was the only life Alma had ever known and now it was over. She didn't know what to say or whom to say it to. She wasn't sure of her true age or place of birth, and she had been lying about who her mother was as long as she could remember. One night, a nurse led Alma to the room where Miss Lydia was kept. Miss Lydia held Alma one last time, though her arms were weak and cold. You must not call me mother, for it is not so, she whispered. You will be safe, They will take you. Alma cried herself to sleep that night, and in her mind, she made one last tally of those she had lost. With fear in her heart and pain in her eyes, Alma was sent to a displacement camp. There were lots of children there, and they were given more freedom than Alma had ever seen. They ate three meals a day, and adults with kind voices would visit her, and ask her to tell them her story. With each day, the fear in her heart wore away, like tarnish being wiped away by a polishing cloth. One day, a photographer came and took Alma's picture, which was then placed in the file that the camp was sent to the U.S. as they attempted to unite orphan children with adopted families. It was a warm day in October when Alma had to leave the camp. Fear crept back inside her, as the kind people who had cared for her prepared her for a long journey. She made up her mind that she would not miss them, for there seemed to be no more room in her heart to miss anyone else. Everyone she had ever known was temporary, and Alma often reminded herself not to grow too fond of anyone. Alma traveled with a group of other children headed for another country that she had never heard of. They huddled together on a large ship trying to steady themselves and avoid seasickness. When they landed, the children walked out into a sea of people, happy people, with healthy, fed bodies and thick clothes to keep them warm. Alma felt out of place immediately. She heard hundreds of voices, all speaking languages she didn't understand. She was made to stand in a long line And at the end, an angry-looking man processed her paperwork and pointed her to a bench for her to sit. Then Alma saw her. A tall, slender woman with kind eyes and curled brown hair came toward her. She had a beautiful green jacket, and her hair was pinned in a matching cap. She had blue eyes, like Alma, and she crouched down in front of the child. Are you Alma? The woman asked in Dutch. Alma nodded her head. You're coming home with me, and if you like it, you can stay with me forever. Alma's eyes widened. It was an unbelievable promise. But Alma hopped off the bench in excitement. The two of them stepped out into the chilly New York air. Cars whizzed by them as more people quickly walked past. Alma grabbed the woman's hand tightly for fear of being lost. When the woman took Alma to her new home, she could feel the outside cold melt away from her cheeks. She got her own bed. It was soft, with homemade blankets. There was food to spare after every meal, and Alma had to fight the urge to bring it into her bed for safekeeping. There was an electric icebox that kept food cold, and an oven to warm it up. And this new kind lady... Alma believed she was an angel. Her name was Danielle, and although she would have preferred Alma call her mother, she understood that it would take some time for her new daughter to adjust. Every night, Danielle would come to Alma and hold her close. She asked Alma to tell her stories about the war, about Miss Lydia, and what she remembered of her mother. Each night, Danielle would keep her composure, as this tiny child described the horrors of war. After she left the room, she always gave herself a moment to wipe away her tears. Danielle knew that the best thing she could do for Alma was to love her. Alma's mother saved her life. Miss Lydia kept Alma alive. It was Danielle's job to make Alma's life worth living. On Thanksgiving Day, Danielle buttoned Alma in her new winter coat and brought her down to the Macy's parade. It was a cold day, but Alma was used to the cold. The two of them stood along the parade route, and Danielle expected Alma to get tired, as most children often do after a couple hours in the cold New York air. Not Alma. She had never seen such extravagance and showmanship. There were big groups of people in uniform, walking in step. Alma thought they could be soldiers, except they held instruments instead of guns and made beautiful music. There were large balloons that looked like airships, but in the shape of people, bouncing down the street to an adoring crowd. Alma was engrossed. Then, at the very end of the parade, a man in a red suit rode down the street on an elaborate sleigh. Alma had never seen such a man before, but there was a magic about him that she couldn't place. His eyes sparkled in the late autumn sunlight, and he waved cheerily to the children as they screamed his name in delight. Alma gasped and pulled on Danielle's coat. Santa Claus, she yelled. It was St. Nicholas, the magical man that brought treats to children. He was here even in this strange country. Alma couldn't believe she was so close to St. Nicholas, and she begged Danielle to go see him. Danielle tried to explain, this is not the St. Nicholas that Alma knew from the Netherlands, but an American dressed as him, and she could meet him, but she didn't want to let down this child that had already been let down so many times before. Alma wasn't having it, He was real, all right. And he was here, in this city, where no one seemed to understand her language. Alma longed to feel that she belonged in this new place. And Santa Claus was the only thing that seemed to be the same all over the world. So Danielle took her. They waited in the long line at the department store, with excited children chattering away around her. Some even asked Alma what she was going to ask Santa Claus. And she just smiled sweetly as Danielle explained that she didn't quite understand English yet. This was followed by a barrage of other questions, but the children eventually shifted their attention to Santa, much to Alma's relief. It was hard not understanding the people around her. Alma felt like an outsider. When they finally reached the front of the line, Claus smiled and greeted Alma in English. Danielle interjected, apologizing and not sure how to explain. She told the kind man that Alma had just come from Rotterdam, that she only spoke Dutch, and that even though she had explained to Alma that he wouldn't be able to understand her, Alma insisted that he would because he really was Claus. Alma waited patiently as Danielle spoke. Her little heart had survived losing her parents watching friends and neighbors wear down to nothing, and saying goodbye to the only friend she'd ever had. Danielle was terrified that after all of that, this encounter would break Alma's heart. In an instant, Danielle's fears disappeared. Without hesitation, the man looked at Alma and started to speak Dutch. Alma's eyes lit up with joy, and Danielle felt a strange combination of surprise and relief. He asked Alma what she wanted, and Alma looked back at the woman who had opened her home to her. She told Santa Claus that she had been given what she wanted, and that she would just like to stay with his kind lady. Then Santa Claus and Alma began to sing. Alma felt, for the first time, completely at home. They sang a song that Miss Lydia had taught her, a song that they sang through their darkest times. As they sang, Alma could feel her mother and father, Miss Lydia, and everyone else she had lost. She was happy and fed and safe, but the most remarkable thing was Alma herself. Here was a child that had escaped the Holocaust, survived war and famine, and through it all, still believed in magic. Danielle tried to fight the tears in her eyes, but she couldn't. How wonderful, she thought. How lucky that this man knew Dutch. Yes, how lucky indeed. And if you were to see this encounter from another perspective, you might have seen another little girl watching from the corner of the room. Her name was Susan Walker. And although she would never know the same kind of fear and pain that Alma knew, she was facing her own challenges. Never in her life had Susan allowed herself to believe in magic. She was being raised by a woman who had suffered heartbreak and intended to prepare her child for a harsh and unfantastic world. But after watching Alma, Susan let herself believe that maybe there was more to the world than she had realized. This encounter changed everything for little Susan, as Alma, the little Dutch girl, taught her to believe. So as you can see, in the movie, Miracle on 34th Street, there are no small parts.